right, folks, good evening. Welcome into Behind the Yellow Line, number 77 for us. Coming just off of the All-Star Week here, the Cubs opening up the second half of the season. A great start tonight in Philadelphia. But tonight, we want to talk about the last week or so. All-Star festivities, home run derby, All-Star game, Major League Baseball draft. Some interesting decisions here made by the Cubs. We've got thoughts on all of that. We've got weather for this weekend in Philly. Cubs get home to Wrigley next week. Pittsburgh coming into town. We got some info on that as well. Uh, something else we want to do on the show this evening, we want to celebrate Randall's half birthday. And we want to hear how the Cubs have fared on July 13 over the years. Got a couple minor leaguers to look at and maybe a note on the World Baseball Classic, which is going to be coming back next year. But uh, Jeremy's here, Randall's here. We got the full crew ready to go. Second half of the season opening up tonight. Good start for the Cubs, but let's kind of go back to this All-Star week here. Uh, it is one of the more fun events for baseball fans. Home Run Derby Monday, All-Star Game Tuesday. We're going to get into all the nuts and bolts, but overall, did we like what we saw this year, Monday and Tuesday night in L.A.? I liked what I saw because, again, I like the all the Home Run Derby. I like the All-Star Game. I don't know that either of this year's editions will go down on anyone's all-time lists necessarily, but I liked what I saw because they were in front of me. The home run derby is fun. The all-star game is fun. It, unless something just goes impossibly awry or a bunch of players who can't hit home runs are in the derby, which has happened before. Again, Brandon Inge, I'm sorry to keep singling you out, but it has happened. Unless things just go impossibly awry, it's impossible not to enjoy the home run derby and the all-star game. So again, even, even as standards go, they weren't great. I liked them because they were in front of me and I was able to watch them. I enjoyed this past week a lot. I, I liked the uh, home run derby. I enjoyed Albert Pujols going off. I thought that was nice to see. I wanted, I was rooting for him to beat Juan Soto. I wanted him to face, uh, I thought Albert Pujols versus Julio Rodriguez in the final would be pretty cool. Uh, Julio Rodriguez just went crazy. I, I thought that was pretty awesome. I, I enjoyed all of it. I mean, Pete Alonso was, I thought it was a very good home run derby. I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed the spectacle of the all-star game. Like there are, I enjoy, you know, there are things that during the all-star game to me, that are fine. Like, you know, that you don't want to have during regular. I enjoy listening to the players mic'd up and talking to them, especially when it's more on about the players and themselves and not just like, you know, as we talked about before, uh, uh, you know, John Smoltz and, and uh, uh, Joe Buck, just like pressuring Chris Bryant on what's like to be uh, traded. But I thought this year it was pretty, it was pretty fun and pretty interesting. And, and I, I enjoyed Liam Hendricks being mic'd up again this year, him and Julio Rodriguez mic'd up at the same time, Jose Trevino and Nestor Cortez being mic'd up. So I thought that this was a great spectacle for the all-star game. Um, I have some quibbles with some certain things like the future, when the futures game is the draft being in there, I think that can be spread out a little more, but I thought for baseball as a whole, the home run derby, the all-star game, I thought it was pretty much a win. Yeah, I wasn't sold initially on them miking up a pitcher as he's trying to pitch. Pitching, I imagine, is very hard, and especially more so when you've got an earpiece in and a microphone on and you're trying to listen to uh, two broadcasters talk to you. But th that was a great segment. Alec Manoa, a lot of personality, especially out there on the mound, listening to him to him uh, mouth off a little bit as he's pitching. I wasn't sold on that initially, but that got a lot better as it went along. And again, you can't really do that in any other event except for this, this exhibition all-star game. Well, I'm going to be the sourpuss here in the group. Normally, that is sort of uh, something that Randall takes ownership of, but I'm going to take it here tonight. Uh, Jeremy, I'm with you, right? I do love the pageantry. I love Chavez Ravine. It's cool seeing all the stars. I thought it was kind of a dud this year, both the home run derby 
and the All-Star Game. I'll start with the All-Star Game, and then I want to get into a longer talk about the Home Run Derby. Um, the All-Star Game was boring, extremely boring. And part of the problem is pitching is too damn good. I mean, these pitchers are absolutely incredible. What they can do with the ball. National League gets a couple runs in the first inning. They had five hits in the whole ball game. Uh, no walks for the most part, right? Like pitchers are pretty good. They're throwing it in the strike zone. And the other thing in the All-Star Game, you're going to get elite defense. So all of that, this high strikeout rates, incredible defense, not a lot of walks. There just weren't guys on the base paths. And it just felt inning after inning after inning, watching guys strike out or make weak contact. I was bored watching the All-Star game. And I don't want to feel that way. I want guys on the base paths. I want people stealing bases. You want there to be action. I didn't think there was a lot of that. Um, let's go to the Home Run Derby, though, first. Um, my complaint with the Home Run Derby, it's too chaotic. I think trying to watch it, right? And I had the Saber metric feed on. Jeremy, I think you were watching the Saber feed as well. My understanding is Randall had the main broadcast on ESPN on. And with the new format, which has gotten away from the outs, you've got a split screen going the entire time. On one hand, it keeps things moving. On the other hand, you don't really get to watch the balls get crushed out of the ballpark. Right, Because before the ball even lands, the next swing is going. The announcers have no idea how many home runs are actually happening. Like Part of the beauty of a home run derby is watching that ball majestically flying out of the ballpark. And the current format, I think, doesn't allow for that visual. Am I alone in feeling that? Because for me, I'm watching it going, like, what the hell is going on right now? There's numbers on the screen. There's split screen action. And yet I can't follow a baseball out of the ballpark. I don't know that you're alone. In this opinion, you you might be in a, a, a minority uh, or at least not a majority. Maybe I'll give you a plurality. You, you might be in a minority of thinking it's a bad thing. The old home run derby, you're right, when it was outspaced, you had 10 outs uh, and that was it and not on a timer was great because you did get to admire all the home runs, but it took forever. It would very easily be an hour, an hour and a half before you even got out of the first round of eight guys. And it wasn't necessarily... Uh, bracket based at that point it was just eight guys going one after another so i i appreciate them timing it and that makes it a much more succinct event so i appreciate it on that basis but you do have a point that when you're on a timer and every second counts it could be the difference between advancing and not advancing when every second counts you don't really get time to admire the 500 foot home runs just the absolute majestic shots so i think you do have a point i think the quibble is the extent to which it is a negative but you do make a very valid point about what the time-based format doesn't allow for i i understand what you're saying i i just disagree with it i i think that the way that the home run derby has been the past few years i think it's it's added so much more excitement to the home run derby i like the arcade style of it where it's just like you know things are going off and things are happening it's like playing pinball pinball almost or whatever you know it's craziness and yeah so there's a little bit of like you're not catching to see every single home run um where it's landing and i agree with that that was fun to see but like the home run derby kind of got boring after a while i mean there were a few years they did do the bracket and not do the bracket and they're always trying to change up the format with and but i think changing from the outs really made the difference to me made it more exciting um you know there were just years where like everybody would get tired like you would see a big number in the first round and that guy would get tired and the next thing like bobby abreu josh hamilton i remember and just kind of all time and i just like the current format that's it, it's they have the timeout. I mean, I guess technically, you know, you could tell with the outs, you could take a timeout anytime you want, but I don't know. I just, I just 
you only got like 10 pitches pretty much unless you're taking pitches there. Um, so you really had to hone in on what you're swinging at. And I just like the, you know, everything being crazy going four minutes or three minutes, hit as many home runs as you can. I enjoy that. I, I hear what you're saying. It's just a little anticlimactic to me because like, especially Schwarber who laid the goose egg there early, you know, I mean, you thought it would be easy him running over pools. I didn't really know how many home runs he had. The counter was off. The broadcaster is giving the wrong number. So the clock is ticking down to zero, zero. In my mind, I'm like, okay, he needs four or five more home runs to tie Pujols. He hits the ball. I don't even see it land. And then I don't know how delayed that counter is. So I'm watching there going, did he just tie it? Is he still two behind? Like, I just felt like I was watching it going, I've got no fucking clue what's going on. The balls are just flying out of the ballpark left and right, or at least flying out of the batter's box is maybe a more accurate way of putting it. But I was just sitting there like, this is crazy. And Jeremy, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Like that out format was dated. I don't think that was the route to go. I just wonder if there's some type of a balance between a timed one and an out-based one or a swing-based one. Because the other thing that I felt, maybe you disagree with this, I thought it was too long. I think three minutes for the initial batter, plus a timeout, plus potentially another minute of bonus time, depending on the length of home runs that they hit, it felt like too much. Like, like it, even two minutes would have been fine for a hitter. When you're in a situation where a batter is hitting 30-plus home runs in one round, that's a little too gimmicky for me. Right. It just feels like, OK, we're here for home runs, but Jesus, man, 30 home runs in one round. And the guy doesn't even win the, the derby is kind of funny and all of that. It just feels like it, it felt too long, really, especially with the timeout in there and then the extra bonus time. Like I, the good thing is the home run derby is evolving. I do think that this format's going to run its course sooner rather than later. And maybe for me, it already has. Well, I mean, that 30, I, I will say those, those still were records. Like we hadn't seen Julio Rodriguez went off. We hadn't really seen anybody yeah. go off like he had, even, even in this situation, I mean, Pete Alonso can only hit 21 uh, or in trying to catch up with him. So, but yeah, I, I can understand maybe some tweaks and stuff like that. But for me, I, I just, I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the arcade atmosphere of it. I, I just found the old way of doing it. And I know you're not saying go back to the old way. Um, I just found, I just, it would get long. It would get drawn out. It just felt like, like the slam dunk contest over, over a few years, like, okay, this is kind of boring. Now you need something to tweak it. And the NBA hasn't really ever found that. I thought baseball did a pretty good job four or five years ago when they made the switch. And I thought it's been a pretty good tweak so far and I've enjoyed it. Um, could they tweak it more? I perhaps. Um, and I understand what you're saying. We, you know, it's, but you gotta, you gotta watch, you, they don't even have the umpires, but the umpires are not giving threes, but they're, they're calling the homers. Um, mm. So uh, on the field. So I don't know. I, I didn't really feel like I had that much trouble following along, but I understand some people did. Yeah. I think your points are valid. I think they're fixable. And I think a lot of those issues have to do with the broadcast and the graphics, maybe as much as the format itself. And that's always fixable. You can always make a broadcast better. You can always make graphics better. <laughs> you can put a broadcaster in there. Who's a little more clue what's going on. And again, you can give make the graphics, you can make them more real time and the home run counter more quickly updated. So I think you have a good point, but I think the issues that you have with it are fixable to the point where I think it can get better. Yeah. Well, I will say this though, Monday leading up to the home run derby and I'm working through the work day and just trying to take care of the things I got to do day to day. I was excited, right? I was looking forward to it. Like I thought the, it was a good selection of talent, even with the inclusion of Albert Pujols. And he ended up being Pretty entertaining, actually. He put on a show in what's going to be his final home run derby. A question for you both. 
what were you most surprised by in the home run derby? And let me start it off for you before you jump in. I'd say Kyle Schwarber laying the goose there. Uh, just I had so many high hopes for him. I had him winning it. I was surprised by how poorly he performed. Randall, what surprised you Monday night? Well, you took Schwarber off the board. Um, I think J-Rod having that monster first round surprised me. We knew he was good. We know he's got incredible power. 30-plus home runs in one round. That's incredible. And I was a little surprised that Pete Alonso kind of petered out. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit of fatigue. Maybe it's his third straight derby and he just doesn't have the fire anymore. They know they, they showed him meditating back in the batting cage. Maybe his meditation was off. His chakras weren't aligned. I was a little surprised he petered out when he did. Well, he is Pete, so he's going to Peter. I, that's but true. I guess if you are a Pete, you are going to Pete Peter, no matter what you do. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. You said Schwarber. I was going to say Schwarber when you were asking it. You know, I, I was a little surprised there. Uh, I guess, you know, just to go back to Albert, like I didn't think he would put up a goose egg or a three or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when he got, you know, 13, I was like, OK, that's probably. And then when he came back, like after after that, when Schwarber couldn't really beat him. Uh, he just put on like a show and I was like, well, where was this? Just, you know, he had won until he took the time out, I think. And even after that, he put on a show and it just kind of came out of nowhere. So I guess Albert, I would say performing as well as he did, even though I thought he would still hit homers. I didn't think he'd perform that well. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, he, he had a lot of fans cheering for him too. And what I thought was pretty cool were all the Dominican players. And it ended up being the last couple of guys standing in it were all Dominican, uh, just rallying around each other. You see him with the Dominican flag on their back on the field. I, I love that. Like we've talked a lot on this podcast about baseball being a global game. When I think back on all those great Sammy moments, even back in 98, you saw the Dominican flags flying around Wrigleyville. I love that. So those visuals to me are very cool. And something we did talk about last week, I think that was the point of Albert being here. These young, great Dominican stars that we've got in baseball now with one of the all-time best players of all time. When we look back on footage of this all-star week and this home run derby, when uh, this week in baseball 2050 comes out, right? 20 some years from now, we're going to be like, wow, that's pretty cool. Seeing a guy like Soto and a guy like Pujols hanging out with each other. Just really neat to see all that play out. 100% agree with you. You know, we're going to, we're going to talk later in the podcast about the world baseball classic, but uh, you know, seeing all those, Dominicans, maybe Albert will have some um, place on the Dominican team for next year. Not not talking about playing necessarily, maybe managing or something or being around it, but seeing the way they looked up to him, uh, yeah. so, Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and see how, like how much he mattered. And and I thought it was cool. And I, I like I said, I wanted it to be Albert versus Julio at the end. I thought like the young stud, the youngest guy in the contest versus the oldest guy. I thought that would be really cool. But Soto, he's only 23 himself. I know. So seeing Albert and Soto there. Uh, go at it I thought was also pretty awesome so I I was excited for it and I I enjoyed it if you if you multiply Soto's age by two you get Albert Pujols yeah well in uh, at least what he states what his age is right (laughs) something like that Um, it's funny how that plays out Um, I wanted to mention Soto as well what I thought was pretty cool about Soto's performance is he's been in the news here in the last week or what he wants from the Washington Nationals doesn't appear that they're going to work something out so now the big question has been do you trade him? And if so, what team possibly has a package good enough for a guy like Soto, one of the incredible talents in the game, a World Series hero, and he's only 23? I mean, this is a truly incredible sort of storyline here in baseball. So to see him fighting with his ownership group, go out there, put on a show in the Home Run Derby, look, this podcast is pro player versus pro owner. I just love the optics of that, of him going out there while he's fighting with the ownership group there in Washington. Yeah, and he may be a future teammate of Albert Pujols, not too future. 
or not too far away. And uh, you know, you, you got mentioned you still got two years left under control. Like, like I'm so, sorry, are you hinting at Soto to the Cardinals? Because I we think got no it's possible. For that. <laughs> I know I would hate it. Yeah. I know, I'm going to be furious, but they seem bite, like the most likely landing spot with the bite your the tongue. Sense. It makes Jeremy, the most sense. Bite your to me. tongue. I, they yeah. have the pieces. They could put them in. They don't need the pieces that they have, like Daryl and Carlson and Jordan Walker. You could trade like five guys that aren't really contributing to their team right now that Watson would fit right in. I think it makes sense. Jeremy, make, make no mistake that if that happens, you will be held fully responsible okay. both on these airwaves and elsewhere in public. No, no, no. You're, you're not weaseling out of this one, Jeremy. You <laughs> will be held it. responsible. I would hate it. I just think it makes sense. I, I, oh. Okay. You can hate it all you want. You will still be held responsible. Like all, all of that blame will be put on you. Well, I got one more thought here on home run derby and then let's get to the all-star game Tuesday. Uh, three of us need a home run derby. So let's make yeah. that happen here. Uh, sluggers batting cage somewhere. We're going to do it. We're going to get the camera out. We're going to put some content up on at BTYL podcast. I think the fans need to see Randall taking some hacks in the cages and uh yeah we gotta put on a show yeah i don't think anyone people. i don't think anyone needs to see that ain't, ain't, ain't nobody ain't nobody need to see that well i, I, the I last want time to. we were taking yeah. some hacks was out uh in uh, uh where were we in geneva or uh no st charles st charles yeah st charles, charles yes, we were taking of course. some hacks the, and, the uh, spacious you know, spacious backyard space of our, our good friend ryan who lives out there yeah so we, we 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 gotta really get in there and maybe we can take hacks you know who knows uh sluggers that we won't be hitting it back at the pitcher no. Yeah, you could. We can set up a a derby, a derby field, a derby fence out out in that space behind Ryan's home. See who can hit it into the uh, the retention pond out there. You, you get five swings to do it. Well, we'll have the video cameras rolling, and I think people just want to see what Randall's swing is. Like he got again, the... people people do not want to see that. Let well, me be well, the first I, to assure you. I think you. people would enjoy it. I do because I think there's a large segment of people who do listen to this podcast who, in their mind. So they might not know this. Randall is right-handed, so he's not a lefty. Randall swings right-handed. But then you're thinking in your head, okay, does he got the Sammy? Does he got like a right-handed Griffey type of a swing going on? Um, is he more of a, a, a Randall Simon type of a player here? Like what kind of a swing are we seeing from the Fred right Council? side? I keep naming like left-handed batters too other than Sammy. But uh, we're talking about guys, though, that you'd be curious how Randall sort of swings that wood. And uh, that's something we got to get up on the Twitter account. Definitely. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, good. Good. See. And, you know, fo folks might not know about Jeremy, the long flowing hair as he's swinging. We're going to see how that looks uh, in motion. Maybe my beard, what that looks like. Uh, kind yeah. of a, a Charlie Blackman without the uh, mullet. I you guess, go yeah. Jeff Bagwell when he had that big yeah. beard and the wide stance. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and we'll hopefully one of us will make contact when we are uh, in a situation to do that. Uh, no guarantees. All-star game, Chavez Ravine. Of course, this has been uh, pushed back. Uh, the Dodgers were supposed to have it a couple of years ago. COVID hit. They've been doing some renovations to Dodger Stadium. And it was a beautiful backdrop for what looked like a good start for the National League. A two spot in the first. Randall's guy, Paulie Goldschmidt, with a home run. But the American League comes back with three runs in the fourth inning. National League doesn't score again. And for the ninth, nine, Randall, consecutive years, the American League ones up the National League. Uh, boy, it's a bummer. I'm a National League guy. It has sucked here this last decade watching the American League just stomp all over our league. It's crazy. It's, yeah. I mean, even going back to when I was a kid, I remember the American League just 
like when I first started watching all-star games, it was like, they were, they started winning. And I remember people telling me like, Oh, the national league always beats America. Like, but since I've been watching the all-star game, the national league's won like three times. Um, so like, I don't, you know, it's, I just remember that. And even last night, like, you know, if we're going to place bets, someone like, I'm like the American league always wins. I don't even care about who I'm going to put it on the American league. Right. Um, but uh, I, I thought it was a fun game as you, you were a little concerned about the, the offense i would point out though the dodger stadium is definitely a pitcher's park oh for so, like, sure balls, balls yeah. die out there so you know it's not course field unfortunately um so we'll see how it goes but i agree with you pitching has just overtaken this this sport in general and i, I don't know if there's anything you can really do about it but that's that's like the biggest issue i think in the game right now yeah it's a microcosm of a, of a broader issue but as i said earlier you've got elite defenders on the field you've got the best pitchers in the game and even though these are incredible bats for all these teams it's just a tough spot for these guys and i'm that you know closer for cleveland coming in there at the end it, that was impossible for those batters and we've seen what he's doing in the regular season he's clearly an all-star one of the great pitchers in the game right now but man it's just like it's tough to watch Swing and a miss, swing and a miss, swing and a miss in a game that you want to see guys moving on the base paths and athleticism being shown. I don't think you get to highlight that when nobody's putting the ball in play. Yeah, and yeah. I would also point out that uh, each of these pitchers are only going one inning, so they're just balls to the wall when they get in there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that guy, the, the random cardinal, whose name I'm not going to bring up because he's a random cardinal, comes in there throwing 102, 103. You know, these guys who are pretty good relievers – when they're in a game situation, they, like Jeremy said, they come in there and they just let it fly. Even Ryan Dempster, if you believe the, uh, the Fox radar gun in his inning as an all-star as a cub was supposedly throwing 95, 96. These guys are all amped up. They're all eager to, to show out on national television on the biggest stage. And they do. And you mentioned Emmanuel class, a, the, uh, the closer from the guardians comes in there throwing hundred mile an hour cutters that no one was able to come close to touching. And that's just crazy. So no, it was not a game for people who do like offense, but it does make you appreciate, like you said, just how good some of these pitchers are, especially when you are putting them in this perfect snow globe of an environment where they're only going to go one inning and they are free to just let it rip. Yeah. There were some offensive moments though. I will point out that that Stanton home run. I mean, that was yeah. a total, uh, mistake pitch that was just hung in the middle of the plate. That same home run went very far, and uh, Buxton followed it right up behind him with a huge homer that was a very fun to watch. But uh, you know, just just even the starters though, like you know, Clint Kershaw, you know, he joked about how he's only going to hit ninety two, and he will. But like, he doesn't. None of these guys have to, you know, you know, stretch out for six innings right now. They're they're even the stars. They're, if I'm coming in to pitch, I'm only coming in for one inning. This is like my time, my fun. Yeah. I'm gonna air it out. I remember Randall mentioned Brian Dempster. I remember watching Brad Penny once, and he started. He came into the All Star game, and he was kind of like 92, 93. And when he was coming in, he was pitching like 97, 98. The announcers were joking, like you know, he's only got one inning. He's just throwing it as hard as he can. And that's what these guys they have the ability to do. If they're only gonna pitch, you know, 10, 12 pitches, like they're gonna come in and just blasted by these are the elite yeah. most the best pitchers in baseball well you brought up some good ones there jeremy i think especially those home runs there were some cool moments there um i think my favorite moment of the game was actually in the first inning kershaw picking off otani in dodger stadium you got the angel you've got the dodger two you know of the most iconic names maybe in the sport right now but was also nice about that it was action on the base paths 
right? So, like, the look on Otani's face, like, you, you picked me off? Like, in an all-star, an all-star game? game, right? Like, I thought you're going to maybe give me a chance to run. That was fun. And that had my attention early. I just felt as the game was going on, I'm, I'm a diehard baseball fan. I love these teams. I love these players. Uh, there's a lot of players on other teams that I love and I enjoy watching and I pay money to go see in person. I just found myself kind of snoozing a little bit Tuesday night going, this is it's a little boring. I want to see guys on the base paths moving. I want to see defenders, outfielders diving for balls. Think about Torrey Hunter. Remember at uh, Miller Park 20 years ago, robbing the ball up over the fence. Like those are the images that you want to get. And I just didn't feel like we had a lot of that, that here I am celebrating a pickoff as one of the highlights of the All-Star game. Otani wasn't even wearing gloves in that situation. He, he wasn't going anywhere. Even, no. And then Kershaw just totally just lobbed it over. Like it wasn't even, he just lobbed it. It was like John Lester move. He just lobbed it over and got him. But I will say Ahmad Rosario early in that game had a pretty slick uh, uh, move to um, to get the adult play where he tossed the ball, you know, behind his back to um, Tim Anderson, who threw it to first. Not a great throw to first, but they were able to get the double play. So there was some defense that was played in that game. Yeah. Andres Jimenez, I think. Oh, yes. Not, Andres yeah. Jimenez. I'm at Rosario is also on the Guardians, but just flip them. I keep yeah. the Mets guys that go over there. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of all those former Mets middle infielders. They just kind of blur together. You're right, Randall. My bad. Well, final thought on the All-Star game from my perspective here. Uh, very cool to see Ian Happ and Wilson representing the North side here. Uh, two guys that, that at least two-thirds of this podcast is thinking may not be Cubs over the next two weeks or so. But I also wanted to highlight, if you're a radio fan, uh, ESPN Radio, Boog on the play-by-play, Doug Glanville as the analyst for it. So at least the Cubs had a little bit of recognition over there. I wish I had gotten the audio feed. This is something I have complained about previously, that when you're watching a game on ESPN, I watch on the Roku, uh, you don't have the option of putting on ESPN radio like you do when you're watching MLB TV. I can watch Marquee with the uh, Cubs radio broadcast over it. You can't do that with ESPN radio. So I actually went with Benetti, uh, Benetti, Mendoza, and I don't even remember who the third person was in the booth for that uh, home run derby on Monday, um, and then just the overall broadcast as well. I wasn't really impressed with the Fox broadcast, to be honest with you, um, but it was definitely would have been nice to hear Boog on the radio side. At least we had a couple Cubs in the booth. Yeah, and uh, Mike Petr- Mike Petrello was the ah, third that's right. yeah. guy from uh, Baseball <laughs> Savant who uh, yeah. for the home run derby. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I well, like when we were talking about when they were talking to Alec Mano on the mound at, at some point, it was like, you know, John Smoltz is asking kind of eh, questions. So like, let yeah. Manoa take the over, take this over. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's fun. It was fun for him. Like I could see it was coming. And when he was coming back and asking what scouting reports are, what, what pitch should I throw? Like that was fun when Alec Manoa was like dominating it kind of and leading the conversation that, that was fun uh to me and i actually enjoyed uh you know a lot of those types of things kind of the spectacle of it that you don't really get to see kind of more personal i enjoyed Shohei atani saying you know first pitch for swing first pitch for swing he got a base hit off kershaw who said i'm gonna throw it 92 on the first pitch like first pitch fastball 92 it was 92 miles per hour it's like why don't the players just tell us what the game's gonna be yeah miking miking up the players i think is something that has potential to go both ways. I think if you mic up the wrong players or if the broadcasters just kind of don't let them talk, it can be overplayed. But I think when you put it on the right players and you kind of let them 
do their thing. It can be very fun. Again, I wasn't initially sold on talking to a pitcher while he's pitching, but Alec yeah. Manoa made that very fun. Yeah, like you said, asking Smoltz, what pitch should I throw? And then going, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. Uh, you know, asking for the scouting reports. And then they had uh, Stanton and Judge mic'd up playing in the same outfield as they do anyway. So I think when you let the players kind of provide the personality, when they have personality to provide, it can be very entertaining. I, I think it's important not to overuse it because I think that's something that could get overexposed very quickly. But when you use it in the right situations, I think it can be very entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Overall, I just thought the broadcasts, both the home run derby and the All-Star game, too talkative. You know, it's like, it just like everybody has to constantly be talking. There's no chance during any of these broadcasts for things to just breathe. And it feels like a missed opportunity because these are ball games. I don't want to compare them to a playoff game, but these are ball games where the audience, the crowd, they're in their seats for the entire game or the entire event. And they're generally paying attention. They're, they're cheering as their guys come up. They're cheering as the big stars come into the batter's box. And if you're in LA, you're booing if there's any Astros that are walking towards the batter's box. So like the pageantry can kind of speak for itself, but it just feels like in particular, the home run derby, it's a competition when you've got three people in the booth of, well, if you're not talking, here's my chance to go in and say something. And as a viewer, it's like, damn guys, slow down. Like, like, can we just take this in? Maybe that goes back to what I was saying earlier, Jeremy. It was like sensory overload watching these because the games don't breathe for themselves. And let's be honest, that's a criticism I think we've all had about national broadcasts in general. Yeah, but it just seems that. to be highlighted during events like this. I understand that. And I, I especially understand that with the Homer Derby. Like I said, I it's like an arcadey type thing where so much is going on. And I understand that. I, I personally don't like the three-person booth that they have kind of there. I prefer, you know, I... I I definitely prefer to, you know, Chris Berman going back, 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 or whatever he was doing. <laughs> naming naming years. suburbs in the, in that general direction. Yeah. So, uh, but to me, I I actually think you know, and not to be all, but I thought Benetti and and Petrello would be kind of fine by themselves. Not to, you know, but whatever. But uh, I'm not a big three person booth. Like I don't I don't like that even when they're calling like Cubs games. I, I'm always kind of like just leave it to you know. Less is more right? Especially in baseball. It's just a sport that lends itself to a two-person booth being more than enough. And one thing as we uh, get towards the end of the discussion, you mentioned how great the backdrop was. Next year in Seattle, we know that's a city with beautiful scenery. Those are going to be some very nice camera shots um, as they get to next year's home run festivities. So that's something to look forward to. Beautiful city, beautiful scenery, beautiful ballpark. I think that will be uh, another good show next year as well. And uh, any day now, we should be hearing about 2024, who's going to be awarded that All-Star game. Cubs fans, got to be thinking here, four, five, or six, the Cubs are coming. Wrigley Field's going to have one of these. The Phillies already have 2026 as part okay. of the, I believe it's the 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So Ooh. yeah, that fits. But 2024, 2025, still wide open. If they want to give it to the Cubs for 2025, 35 years since... Uh, the last All-Star game at Wrigley, I think that would work perfectly fine. So let's go for 2025. Uh, and I'd make the case for 2024, 110 yep. years of Wrigley Field. So nice. Randall likes when the numbers get neat and clean. So uh, 1914, 2024. It's good to keep things cool. tidy. Yeah. It's good to Could keep things cool tidy. Connection in there. Um, Philly, great baseball town. Uh, Cubs put on a show there tonight. Uh, one final note here on the All-Star game. So we mentioned the American League has won nine consecutive All-Star games. Of course, the game in 2020 was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Last time the National League won, Jeremy, this is a point you made earlier, it was part of a three-peat. For the National League, 2010, 
2011-2012, that was Angel Stadium, Chase Field in Phoenix, and then Kauffman Stadium. The National League wins those three. Prior to that, you had the tie, of course, in 2002 up at Miller Park. The last win for the National League, July 9, 1996, Veteran Stadium, Philadelphia. So, Jeremy, your point about, well, it feels like your whole life here, it's been the AL. It pretty much has been, other than a couple of years here, 1996, the last time the National League won it there, uh, back at a park that uh, fortunately no longer exists. That's true. Uh, Wendell Davis will say that as well, former Bears wide receiver. Um, I was just going to say, though, for the Cubs' sake, it actually worked out pretty well. They lost the National League loss in 2016, get Schwarber an extra game as a DH in the World Series, so it worked to their favor. All the stars aligned, every one of them. Well, the other big thing here that we've been tracking over the last week has been the Major League Baseball draft that uh, started up on Sunday. Uh, Jeremy, uh, of the three of us on this podcast, you're most in on the college players. This is a big day for you. I know it's something that you're excited about. Um, Cubs went pitching heavy here early. What do you think here when you look at this draft class? Obviously, it's going to be years before we can give this a final grade and determine whether or not it was a success. But uh, how are you feeling a week in or so here as the Cubs have made some moves here and uh, wrapped up the draft? Well, I, you know, I understand what the Cubs are trying to do, and the Cubs know more than I do. So I always give the benefit of the doubt to those that know more. Um, but I, personally, I was a little disappointed that they didn't take one of the, like, the elite bats that were there, that a bunch of them dropped down. And, you know, they were more of a sure thing. The Cubs clearly had a plan where they were they were looking at trying to – they did this in 2014. They, they got Kyle Schwarber under slot, and they signed a couple of higher-end pitchers at, later in the draft, and they were Dylan Cease, Justin Steele, and I remember Carson Sands. And I, I would say that worked out pretty well for them with Schwarber, Cease, and Steele. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of the approach they took. Let's spread more money around, bring in more, you know, talent over – in terms of quantity and perhaps that quality is there because with pitching, like it's different than hitting, you can kind of build pitching. It could be a grip. It could be a way, you know, an arm action, a throw. It, it kind of can come out of nowhere. Like Kate Horton was kind of nothing entering this year for most of the season. Then he develops a, a crazy slider going into the playoff, the reach the NCAA tournament. And now he's a top 10 pick in the draft. So like it can kind of come. So I think it's really a big bet on the Cubs pitching infrastructure. They bet big that we can develop these guys because we have developed, you know, we're kind of making this move. Carter Hawkins coming from Cleveland, Cleveland, the best probably pit developing a pitching in the league. So like, that's the way I see it. We, they just wanted to get as many pitchers into their system as they possibly could. I think Jeremy hit this right on the head. There was all the talk of on this podcast and many other media outlets, uh, you know, what bat would the Cubs take with that number seven pick? And then they go with a, uh, a polished college starting pitcher. Jeremy said it perfectly. This is the Cubs betting on their pitching infrastructure. You take a picture in a pitcher in Horton. You can take a picture of him too, if you want, but you take a pitcher in Horton who throws hard. He's got the breaking stuff. He showed out in the college world series and the Cubs are betting that between their pitching infrastructure, that between their, their pitching czar, Craig Breslow, very, very intelligent individual overseeing this infrastructure. They are betting that they can make him into a fast rising frontline starting pitcher. And I know there was some disagreement on draft night. And I, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, we hear, you know, three names in the lead up to the draft and then your team takes none of those and we go, Oh my goodness, what are they doing? But yeah. it's a lot of people who make a living 
scouting these players and describing what they can do are very high on Horton. And that's very encouraging. And like Jeremy said, it, it's a bet on the infrastructure. And the bet is that they can turn this guy into a fast rising frontline starting pitcher. And wouldn't that be nice to see the Cubs develop for a change? We have not seen that in a number of years. We might be seeing that now uh, with a couple of different players, but wouldn't it be nice to see them take a guy that high, be high on him, develop him, bring him to the major leagues and have him find success. I, I would very much enjoy seeing that. So uh, there's very clearly a plan here. You, we might not agree with the pick. We might've said, why didn't they take this bat, this bat, this bat, but there was very clearly a plan and a philosophy here. And like you said, it could be a number of years until we see how it plays out, but I look forward to seeing how it plays out. Yeah. I just think for me, me personally, and like I, I, I always give the benefit of the doubt to the organization. Um, but when you have like Brooks Lee and Kevin Parada, two of the top bats in college baseball, that those I'm not gonna say they're sure things because they're not sure things at all. But the most sure thing kind of are elite college bats. That's kind of the most sure thing in the draft. And so you would you have a pretty good chance of like those guys are gonna be probably at least major league baseball players, pretty good baseball players, major league baseball players. So when you're going to pitch like so much on pitching, yeah, they took so much quantity of pitching because they need to somebody in there is probably going to break out and i i agree with that it's just i personally would have preferred them to go that college bat route but i understand why they went the route they did and why they're doing it the one thing i am a little concerned about is that kate horton basically if this draft was the time that normal draft is normally in major league baseball early june kate horton would not have been the draft pick at all and dan cantrovitz said that like we would we would never have taken him number seven if this draft was last month and that kind of concerns me a little bit yeah he showed five starts his last five starts he showed a great slider and he pitched pretty well and he's got all the mechanics and everything and you're hoping you could build off of that but it does concern me that like you're basically hoping you could build off of one month and yeah, Jeremy, again, like you said, it continues to underscore the extent to which this was a, a scouting and development draft pick more so than a guy who is maybe ready right now. And again, in the MLB draft, you don't often get a guy who's ready right now. I think that's kind of the, the unobtainable ideal a lot of the time. But that underscores how the Cubs scouted this guy. They looked at what he was. They looked at what he was doing. They looked at what he added. And they looked at what he was improving on. And they drafted him based on that. You said, and accurately, the comments from the scouting director, from the, the scouting VP, Kantrovich, that they drafted him basically on his performance in the College World Series. And again, we don't necessarily have to agree with the pick, but we see the philosophy. We see what they see in this guy, and that's the basis on which he was drafted. So it's going to be a few years until we find out if they were right or not, but you can at least see the philosophy. You can see what the thought process was, even if we don't necessarily agree with it. And I would say, just, just to say, because he was an underslot deal and they're going to spread the money around, that it's not just about Kate Horton. The whole point of this draft is there's other guys. Jackson Ferris is going to get an overslot guy. There's overslot guys down. So the reason they drafted him, they save a little bit of money. They could because of the pool money, and then they can spread that money around. So it's a whole the whole draft is one thing. You can't just take look at one piece without looking at the whole thing. Yeah, uh, twenty players drafted by the Chicago Cubs front office is optimistic that about eighteen or nineteen of them are going to be signed. You don't always sign everybody. That's not maybe part of the picture when you're doing this, um, but they do believe that they're going to be able to get the vast majority, Randall, of those guys. Uh, another name, Randall, that jumped out at me, McGuire, right? The son of Mark McGuire. They did it. Yeah, getting taken. <laughs> and if you're thinking McGuire, oh, this guy must be a slugger. No, no, high school pitcher. But uh, cool to see him uh, a pick here for the Cubs here. And, and how funny is it that they got the comments, of course, from dad, from Mark McGuire, who says that when 
Mason debuts at Wrigley Field. He will be there wearing Cubs gear. You know, I, I hope that happens. I hope this young man does make it to Major League, uh, not just for the team, but just to see that, just that image of Mark McGuire is going to be standing there in a Cubs polo and a Cubs hat. You're going to, we're going to see that. Those of us who lived religiously through the 1998 home run chase, and I think something's going to just kind of stop working up here in the brain. We're going to go, what, what are we looking at? What alternate universe did we fall into? That's going to be funny. But that's another guy who the Cubs feel like can be a very fast riser. Um, and again, pitching always takes longer to develop than the position players. But again, wouldn't that be nice to see that the Cubs, for a change, honed in on these guys, they identified them. And wouldn't it be nice to see them being fast risers, making it to major leagues in three seasons or four seasons? That would be nice. And again, like Jeremy said, they went pitching quantity. Uh, you would hope that at least a couple of these guys break out. And the thing about uh, Mason McGuire, Mark McGuire's son, the, that the Cubs drafted, uh, I think is cool is that, you know, the splitter is basically like a dying pitch in baseball. And, you know, you Darvish threw one, but not many guys, throw, not many high school kids throw a splitter as Mason McGuire does. And the way Mason McGuire learned his splitter was when his father was being honored, I think getting his jersey retired by the Oakland A's, Raleigh Fingers was there. And Mason McGuire went up to Raleigh Fingers and was talking to him. And Raleigh Fingers taught him how to throw a splitter. So I think that's pretty cool. And, you know, how many kids could say, and high school kids, I learned this pitch from a Hall of Famer. So yeah. uh, I think that's a cool story. And hopefully that splitter takes them all the way to the majors. That is that is great. And th there was that photo from that event of the high school age Mason McGuire going up to Raleigh fingers and you could see Raleigh showing him the pitch grip. That is great. There's nothing quite like stories like that. Well, there were some funny moments out on the internet too, over the course of the draft. That's something that uh, people that are following this Cubs team, maybe you're out on things like Twitter. Uh, one of the ones that had me laughing is if, if we can get Jackson Ferris up to the major league here, he's that left-hander from IMG Academy and the Cubs are playing the Dodgers. You got the possibility of a Ferris Bueller matchup at Wrigley field. That would be pretty cool to see. But what I was laughing about is something that I can feel Randall's eyes rolling as I get ready to say this, uh, the Catman, David Kaplan bitching about the Cubs number one pick citing his college earned run average. And I saw that tweet. It kind of went viral and I'm laughing going like he obviously knows what he's doing, right? He can't possibly mean what he wrote there, looking at the earned run average of this pitcher and saying, well, I know who this guy is because of that, right? Like, he's just he's just feeding the trolls. Rolling my eyes doesn't begin to cover it. We're, we're not a video podcast, and I'm, I'm not making the motion right now, but I assure you I'm thinking the hand wank motion right now oh, because I can't, I can't not think of David Kaplan and his hashtag take that without immediately reflexively making the hand wank motion. He's such a colossal meathead. You know, you, you said it, he, he's playing to a very specific crowd. And, and again, that's why I can't take him seriously because he's not a serious person. He's an attention getter. He's a shit stirrer. He's a reaction generator. He's not a serious individual. And that's why it's impossible to take him seriously. So take that David Kaplan, you're never going to hear this. You have me blocked on Twitter in fact, but if you do ever hear this again, take that. Well, I, I didn't actually see what David Kaplan said. I wasn't looking he, for he, it. Yeah, he cited he cited his uh, Horton's 486 ERA in so college. We're back, basically. Yeah. Like he was mocking yeah. the Cubs for going out and getting a guy who had a high career earned run average in college, and it's like Schmuck. way to miss the the. <laughs> that's well said, Randall. But it's like wait, way to miss the whole point here, buddy. Like uh, just show yourself to be a dinosaur, would you? Yeah, and you know, as we've said, obviously there are other factors that went into it, like the fact that the Kate Horton that pitched the last month of the season is not the Kate Horton that pitched earlier the same year. He was coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, he already had it, so that 
factored into it. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, I, I just want to say, you know, moving on a little bit, there's a couple other names that I personally would like to point out. Um, I think it was pretty cool. The Cubs drafted, at least from my lit recollection, three kids from the Major League uh, Draft League that we talked about during the CBA, that how they're going to put the Draft League together. And maybe they weren't going to get the top talented kids, but they're going to be kids that, like, who knows? Like, they're going to come and show their stuff. They drafted a kid, Brandon Noriega, from Florida, who is kind of out of the middle of nowhere. I'm not – according to the MLB.com, it says no school. I maybe saw something. He was at Miami Dade College. I don't know where he came from, but they drafted him. They drafted a kid from Montana, uh, Black uh, – I don't know how you pronounce his last name, Blotter, Blader from Montana, a high school kid. I'm sure he didn't really get many scouts around him, but he, he was one of the youngest kids in the draft league. He showed up and then they drafted a kid, Matthew Peters from Ivy tech Institute. Uh, you know, he was five foot seven, two years ago, and oh. he's now six foot four. So oh, that's man. pretty crazy to me. And I thought it was interesting. I was reading an article about him. He, he um, originally attended uh, Oakton community college. It was on their baseball yeah. team at displays. And he wasn't really feeling it, kind of went home, wanted to go home, and I understand that. And then one other draft I really thought was very interesting in the later rounds is Shane Marshall, who was basically a catcher for Georgia, kind of a backup catcher, threw 26 pitches as in his career, 1.2 thirds innings as at Georgia. The Cubs drafted him as a pitcher. So they yeah. obviously liked something he was throwing, and who knows if he'll ever succeed, but they said they saw a pitch, and they said, that's an interesting pitch. We think maybe there's something there as a pitcher. And as we go through draft talk, especially with the later round picks, there is an essential Twitter follow you should be following, and that is the user Saver Metrics, like Saber Metrics, but with a V, Saver Metrics, all one word, who I don't know how he does it, uh, but he's got all of these draft picks. Uh, he's got their interviews transcribed for the most part. He will let you know if a guy is signing or if he is going to school in the case of the, the later round draft picks. He'll let you know uh, the slot value for each pick, an essential Twitter follow this time of year, um, because if a guy is, again, going to forego a, a school commitment and sign with the Cubs, you will hear it from this guy first. So a, a very recommended follow all, to, all year round, but especially this time of year. Uh, just a, a quick perusal of the timeline confirmation that the Cubs seventh round pick the right-handed pitcher, Nick Hull, which is kind of a fun name is signing with the Cubs, their fourth round pick a two-way player, Nazir Moulet, like mule, but with an accent over the E also signing with the Cubs organization, their ninth round pick pitcher, Connor Nolan, who was committed to the university of Arkansas. He's signing with the Cubs. Well, so again, pitched for university of Arkansas. Okay. Well, okay. I was, wasn't wrong. He was committed no, to right. the university <laughs> of Arkansas. He he's was. not going, he's, he's not, not going back. He's not committed school. there anymore. He was committed. Right. He, he was yes, committed he's, there he's, he pitched for them in the college world series. He is decommitted. He is decommitted to the university of Arkansas. He is signing with the Cubs. So again, if you need to know who is signing and who isn't just peruse this particular user's timeline, you'll find everything you need. Again, that is user saver metrics on Twitter. And the other thing I'd say about him, uh, Sierra metrics is that he actually in his, uh, Twitter bio, he has a very cool, uh, a spreadsheet that has, you know, slot signings, all the Cubs signings, and he has links to, you know, to Twitter, Instagram, the guy changed his Instagram profile to Chicago Cubs pitcher or whatever, or Chicago Cubs farm, man, it's in there. So you could just, and he highlights, you know, based on the, uh, each guy's name, like, you know, green says they, he says they're going to sign or, or blue. It's been reported that he signed or whether or not, you know, he's actually, I, I think it's pretty cool. You can follow there around, but uh, yeah. And I would point out those later guys, Nicole, he signed for $25,000 today, which that's a slot. That's like over 230,000. He's a senior. A lot of those, 
you know, teams will take uh, college seniors in those spots because they'll sign cheap. And then they could take that $200,000 that they save and they could spread that money around to other guys like Nas Moulet, I'm sure is getting over a slot. And he's a fun guy. He throws hundred miles an hour and he possibly could be a two-way player. You know, I, so I, I, he seemed, and you can watch videos of him. He seems very mature, very like, I, he seems like a cool dude. Yeah. In the words of Nick Fury, He's got uh, eyes everywhere, ears everywhere else. So again, an, an essential Twitter follow, saver metrics as we track which of the Cubs draft picks are signing, how much they're signing for, and who is not signing. So 20 picks for the Cubs, 16 of them pitchers. Again, the theme for this 2022 draft, trust in the pitching infrastructure, top to bottom within this Cubs organization. It'll be years, though, to determine whether or not this was a win or a loss and who ends up paving the way for the big league Cubs. There were probably some players that were drafted here that will be traded as part of a package of guys that would be coming back to the big league Cubs all of that is to play out, but again, the expectation here, the Cubs should sign 18 or 19 of those 20 players with a pitching-heavy focus. Uh, quickly, looking elsewhere at the draft, we talked about Kumar Rocker, Jeremy, three to the Texas Rangers. That got a lot of attention uh, in general. What else, let's try and keep this tight, but what else sort of had your attention here overall looking at the draft this year? Yeah, I think uh, just as I talked last week, the Jackson Holiday. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Crawford, all the sons of major leaguers that were like there that, you know, Drew Jones. Um, I just think it's crazy that, you know, Jackson Howell or Matt, uh, Matt Howell and Carl Crawford are like six years older than us. And they have sons that were drafted in the first round. It is, it is best just not to think about it, honestly. Uh, something that stood out to me, it's believed to be the first time in MLB history, four of the five overall top draft picks in the MLB draft were African-American. And that's great. Um, again, baseball is constantly trying to make the game more diverse to varying degrees of success. Um, but and there, you know, there can be a lot more money in going and focusing on other sports. You, you get your money, you get your fame a whole lot quicker. It is good to see some of those efforts on the part of MLB to make baseball more accessible uh, to everyone. It's good to see those starting to pay off in a very small way, long way to go, but it's good to see that paying off in a very small way. Uh, you know, I would argue that major league baseball is incredibly diverse, but I think the blind spot maybe here in the United States is that African-American population. I really think that's what you were getting at. You look at the all-star game, tons of uh, uh, Latin American players and players from Australia and players from Japan and stuff like that. But there are a ton of talented athletes here in North America that have to decide, do I want to play basketball? Do I want to play football? Do I want to go the track and field route? Do I want to go the baseball route? Uh, more of those talented players funneling into baseball versus something like football or basketball is going to lead to a better product in Major League Baseball. So it is cool to see that, Randall, for sure. And um, it is something that with the RBI initiative and lots of other things that Major League Baseball is trying, we do want to see those numbers increasing in Major League Baseball um, because it's been a pretty steady decline here since the 1980s in terms of African-Americans in the majors. Um, and yet there are obviously some stars in the game right now that are African-American as well. Um, but, you know, drafts takes a long time for all these pieces to settle. We brought this point up last week. It's not like the NBA or the NFL draft where the guys you take immediately impact your team the next season. Some of these guys might be in the minors eight or nine years before they eventually get to the big leagues with some teams. So uh, we'll see certainly how all of that plays out.
Uh, anything else on the draft before we pivot back to the big league Cubs? You know, believe it or not, there is a major league team here in Chicago, and we've got some things to talk about there. Anything else All-Star Week draft-related that either of you want to get off your chest? I, I would just say, you know, congrats to all the kids that were drafted, and hopefully yeah. – most like because you know maybe one or two or even three make it to the majors from any draft class and you know so it's going to be a tough grind for all of them so hopefully you know hopefully we see a lot of these guys develop and maybe you know you'll see them for the majors maybe as you said they'll be traded and they may make the majors for somebody else but a dream come true for Mm -hmm. lots and lots of guys and something that never gets old is when you see the player getting that phone call. And in some instances, if they're a first round pick, it's a situation where they're at home, their family's around them. It's obviously so cool to see a young man like that have that dream come true that you're being drafted. But personally, I kind of like those late draft guys that maybe they're playing in a summer league or they're hanging out with their teammates in a bullpen. They get a phone call and then their teammates are jumping on them all across the board. It's awesome to see young people sort of achieving that next step. And I mean, How can you not like that? And we've all thought about it, right? If you've ever watched baseball at any point in your life, you've thought, okay, what if I was a player? And then you think about what's it like hitting a home run or getting your first win. And you keep going back and going, what what it's like playing in the minor leagues. Imagine being drafted and to be a first round draft pick. You've spent your entire life honing this craft. You're one of the most elite teens in the world or early 20s, somebody in the world. And then here you are getting that phone call that you're getting a chance you still got to grind for years to get to the majors, but you got a chance of actually making that happen. So I don't know. That's always cool. It's something I've enjoyed about this whole thing. It's very cool. I, 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 you know, kid Horton went from Norman, Oklahoma to he's going to hopefully be a Chicago Cub one day. He's never been to Wrigley. So hopefully that dream comes true. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're cheering for all these guys and we'll be tracking them as they make their professional debuts and eventually work up the Cubs prospect rankings. Let's get back to the big league team here. Uh, The Cubs won tonight, first game of the second half of the year. And Randall, not only did they win, they slapped the Philadelphia Phillies 15 to two, the final score. And this came after Schwarbs had lead off home run for the Phillies tonight. So early on, you're going, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And then the offense just snaps. Uh, Randall, the Cubs are in Philly this weekend. They come home for a a quick, rather, two-game stand against uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates at Wrigley next week. Let's get weather, and then we'll talk about what's going on with the big league squad. Absolutely. It is that time again, that time for everyone's favorite segment of Behind the O-Line. And that, of course, is the Cubs weather brought to you by at Cubs weather. Follow it on Twitter at Cubs weather and follow our good friend Alexander Hall on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Uh, So as Alex sends the weather for this particular segment, he actually starts it off with the text of the National Weather Service excessive heat warning that is in effect for the Philadelphia area um, through Sunday night. And anytime Alexander starts uh, the weather that he sends over, with the National Weather Service advisories, it's not typically a good sign. So there is, in fact, an excessive heat warning in effect for the Philadelphia area until Sunday night. The series vibe for Philadelphia is, and I'm quoting here, no, period, furnace, period, do not attempt period. So we've already played the Friday night game. The Saturday evening game, it is at 5.05 Central Time. Temperatures will be about 93 degrees, low 90s. Gross humidity, again, Alexander's words, not mine, with a wind out to right field at 5 to 10 miles per hour. And then the Sunday game, which is an 11.05 a.m. Central Time start. You are hearing that correctly. Some brunch baseball for you on Sunday. Cubs being on the the Peacock streaming broadcast. Uh, Temperatures in the mid-90s. 
humidity with the heat index, it will feel like about 105 and a wind blowing out to center field at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Fortunately, the Cubs do escape the Philadelphia furnace that's furnace spelled with a PH and they come home for a quick two game series versus the Pittsburgh Pirates. Alexander describes the series vibe as this is sort of early September energy. Really, really good vibes. Week one NFL vibes. Monday night will be a 7.05 local time start. Temperatures in the low 70s, comfortable humidity, and a slight wind in from left field at 5 to 10 miles per hour. And then the conclusion of that short two-game set, Tuesday, 1.20 p.m., nothing like a 1.20 game at Wrigley, although we are to have one on Tuesday. Temperature will be about 80 degrees, 50-50 clouds and sun, wind out to the left field corner, 10 to 15 miles per hour, not too humid, and an outside shot at a shower. So again, as we do every week, thank you to Alexander and thank you to Cubs Weather for providing us with the Cubs Weather. Essential Twitter follows at Alexander Hall at Cubs Weather. Thank you as always, Alexander. Yeah, yeah real good stuff in there. Boys, it's been hot. It's been hot all across the United States. Uh, I was driving out to Red Rocks last night for a little uh, midweek concert. Was on I-70 West from downtown Denver to Red Rocks. About a 15, 20-minute ride. 4.30, 4.45, the car registered 104 degrees in Denver. A couple nights prior to that, I'm walking the dog 10, 15 at night. I'm sending voice memos to YouTube because that's all I do when I'm walking around with the dog at night. It was 81 degrees in Denver at 10, 15 at night. Guys, it has been rough. So I've been feeling it a little bit. You know, I'm all about the hydration, but it's been, uh, it's been a drag here, a little too hot out here west. At least you don't have to deal with humidity. That's true. It's true. I was telling some teammates of mine uh, at work, they're in the Baltimore area. They're like, hey, Ronan, how's the weather been in Denver? I'm like, well, it was 104 degrees yesterday. And I actually said it. I I said the line, Randall. I said, but, you know, it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. That's right. right. Uh, It's brutal in the sun. I mean, there is truth to that. It is more manageable when you're in the shade. You wouldn't think it's 100 degrees when you're in the shade on a day like that. But when you are in the sun, oh, man, like, you know, and I'm pale, boys. I'm, I'm a pasty boy here. I burn very quickly, and that's something that uh, I felt. Uh, but back to the Cubs here, right? They're, they're, they're home next week. Jeremy, I got to ask you, and you, you better have an answer to this. Are you going Monday or Tuesday? Because these are the last two home games for the Cubs before the trade deadline, and it may be the last time Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ are playing for the Cubs at Wrigley Field. So when are you going to Wrigley? I've been, I've been thinking that myself. I think yeah. I'm going Monday. Um, I, that's going to be my goal to get out there Monday. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get out there Tuesday. So Monday is going to kind of really be my only shot at it. Fortunately, or unfortunately to look at it. Uh, I was able to get out last year before the trade line. I saw Chris Bryant. I'm the last image of Chris Bryant I ever had with him is him hitting a home run. He had a home run the last at bat that I went to the game of, of uh, and it was like two, three days before he was traded. And yeah. so I, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I just want to get, you know, something similar. If Wilson, who I totally expect to be gone and Ian Happ, who I think might also be gone, you know, it'd be nice to, appre- you're going to have to appreciate these games and who knows, like trade season has started. Dan Vogelbach got yeah. traded from the uh, Pirates of the Mets tonight. So things are happening. So it could happen fast. It could be Bill next week. Maybe these guys are gone. So yeah. appreciate the games you have left. Wilson hit a homer. Appreciate it tonight. Ian Homer. Appreciate all these games. Jeremy, uh, go ahead, Randall. Going, going by the weather. It sounds like Monday night is the game to go to, uh, you know, especially if you work during the day, can't really go to a day game. It sounds like Monday night will be a very pleasant night at the ballpark. Hopefully the Cubs can make it an equally pleasant night at the ballpark and uh, not lose to the pirates. So it sounds like, you know, if you want to, if, if you got a normal schedule and you want to try and see a couple guys one last time, it sounds like Monday night might be your night for it. 
Uh, also, Jeremy, I know this excites you. MLB Network Tote Bag Day at Wrigley Field. So you can pick that up Monday night at Wrigley Field. But you do have an obligation here, at least for me. I need you to, to get some extra cheers in on my behalf for Ian and Wilson and some other guys. Uh, think of all the relief pitchers that we think are going to be traded. In 20 years, I'm not going to look back on David Robertson and go, wow, one of the greatest Cubs I ever saw, but he's had a hell of a half of a season and he's going to bring something back. So get that in there. But not only do you need to cheer for me, you need to cheer for Randall, who's not going to be able to get out to the ballpark. And you need to do some Randall-isms on behalf of the big man. So home plate umpire botches a call. You got a shout out. Hey, Blue, got your cell phone, whole bunch of missed calls. Uh, You can... Think of every possible offensive word that Randall has tweeted about a team like the Pirates. Get some of those out. I'm not asking you to get kicked out of the ballpark, but you got to carry the weight of me and then the extra special weight of Randall if you're out at Wrigley Monday night because I would do anything to be there, even if the Cubs suck, even if it's a bad Pittsburgh team. You get to go to Wrigley Field Monday night. Celebrate these guys before they're gone. I will carry all the weight. I will make sure to do all the things. I will, I will get all the calls in. I'll get all the, the chants and the cheers and I'll, I'll, I'll cheer for it. You know, and yeah, as you mentioned, like, I feel like there's gonna be a lot of, I mean, the whole bullpen is going to be completely different. I mean, Chris Martin's probably going to go. He's been sneakily good. Uh, Michael Givens, David Robertson. So it's going to be a completely different bullpen. Um, let's go back to the minor leagues here with the Cubs. I mean, great. They went off tonight. It was awesome to see that, but it, this is a bad big league squad. Uh, something that caught my attention here in the last week, Miguel Amaya, and that's a name that a lot of people might be talking about, especially if Wilson gets traded, activated. Finally, he's back playing some games. Uh, he is activated off the minor league injured list and going to Tennessee. In terms of minor league news over the last uh, two weeks or so, this is a pretty big deal for the Cubs. He has dropped aggressively from the Cubs' top prospect list and the overall top prospect list. But this is a guy at one point the Cubs were very high on. Injuries have affected his progress. But if Wilson goes, the future at catcher, big spotlight gets shined on that for the Cubs, which naturally is going to mean a guy like Amaya is going to be generating a little bit more interest than he would if Wilson were staying. Yeah, it's really good to see him activated off the minor league IL. He's gone through Tommy John surgery. He's gone through all manner of ailments. And like you said, if Wilson goes, I I still like to say if, because I like to live in denial sometimes. If Wilson goes, uh, the spotlight, like you said, ends up back on Amaya because he is your top catching prospect in the minor leagues. The Cubs have a lot of depth that catcher in the minor leagues, but a lot of that depth is at the lower levels. Miguel Amaya is probably their catching prospect that is closest to the majors. And so, you know, very real chance that we, we see the spotlight shine back on him in the second half of the season as he comes off the IL and returns to playing the field. And that's one of the benefits of being a position player who gets Tommy John is your recovering time is shorter because you are not necessarily throwing every play of the game, not as much strain on the elbow. So hopefully he can hit, hopefully he can return to form defensively in the second half of this minor league season. There's going to be a lot of eyes on him as this season goes forward. I believe he had two hits today uh, when he was activated. I, I know he had at least two hits, I think. Um, so, you know, he came back out hitting um, today. So, yeah, Miguel Amaya being back is a big deal for the Cubs. Uh, he straight to double A, right back to where that spot. And so it, it, it's fortunate um, that they're getting him back. In, and we, we can see how he's going to play the rest of the season. It's You know, he's missed a lot of time over the years. He had, you know, 2020 there was the whole COVID situation and some injuries. So it's nice to finally see him back on the field and hopefully he can produce. 
Randall, what else in the minors here over the last couple of days has uh, caught your attention? Yeah, two some? guys, two guys that uh, we have discussed on these on this pod previously. Eric Elman, the right-handed reliever who was pitching at Iowa, he was promoted the day before the All Star break. Um, so he got to say he was a big league ball player during the all-star break. He made his major league debut tonight. He was mostly sitting 94, 95. He threw 20 pitches. He, he pitched the final inning of a game that was well out of hand, fortunately, well out of hand in favor of the Cubs. He actually went ones across the board. This is very funny. He pitched one inning, allowed one run on one hit, one walk, one strikeout. And that one run was on a home run, but he is now up at the major league level. We've talked him up before great numbers at Iowa. He throws hard. He's got a great breaking ball. Uh, he was doing very well pitching to a 279 ERA out of the bullpen at Iowa. And then Matt Mervis, the undrafted pitcher, undrafted pitcher and first baseman. He was a two-way player, the undrafted first baseman out of Duke, whom we have also talked up on this podcast before. Uh, he has been promoted to AAA Iowa out of the minor league all-star break. We have talked about how he has absolutely hit at every level this season. Uh, Iowa is his second stop. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's his third stop this season. Uh, and this is, again, the Cubs don't really have a major league ready first baseman waiting in the wings. They don't have Anthony Rizzo. Uh, so at best, Matt Mervis might be able to be a Frank Schwindel, but a good Frank Schwindel. And again, if a guy can hit, if he can rake, uh, you put him at first base, put him at DH. It doesn't really matter how old he is. I believe he's, what, 26, Jeremy? Uh, no, he's only 24. Only 24. Okay, put two extra years on him. Yeah, so he's 24. He's a little old. He's a little old for the level. But just the same, if he can hit, he can hit. It, it, unlikely that he sees the major leagues this year just because the 40-man spots are so valuable and you're going to need some of those for guys who are Rule 5 eligible. But again, a guy hitting is a guy hitting. Good for him. If he continues to hit at Iowa, who knows what might happen. So two guys that we've talked up, Eric Elman and Matt Mervis, both moved up a level, and hopefully both of those guys continue to produce in their new homes. Yeah, Mervis, you uh, was senior at, at Duke, but I, I would also – point out that i know he technically is undrafted i mean there was only a five round draft that that's year, true so that's undrafted COVID, undrafted with an a covid year so maybe maybe he would have been drafted if it had been the normal was probably supposed to be 40 rounds now it's 20 rounds um that year so maybe he would have been drafted he was he was a senior and yeah he's been matching the ball and he, he gets to he gets to get to uh des moines and now at Des Moines, that's pretty much, you know, age appropriate for a 24 year old so we'll see how he hits when he's at des moines and see what he can produce there I think a big thing for Cubs fans here these next couple of weeks is watching the farm as uh, the Cubs trade away some of their top talent at the big league level and obviously a, a lost season for the big league Cubs. Uh, shifting gears here, one other thing I want to mention quickly, next year, 2023 spring training, we will see the return of the World Baseball Classic for the first time since 2017. And 2017 was a big year for the United States in the World Baseball Classic. It was the fourth installment of those games and the first time the United States won. MVP for that U.S. team, Marcus Stroman. So a little bit of a Cubs connection there. But 2023, it's back on. Of course, this takes place during spring training. Guys, I love the World Baseball Classic. When it started back in 2006, I was skeptical. I didn't really love the timing of it being in spring training because you've got pretty strict pitcher limits and things like that. But this has really grown on me. Awesome seeing the U.S. winning it back in 2017. And we've got a captain here for 2023, Mike Trout team captain for Team USA. Spring training can be a little bit of a drag, right? It goes on a long time. This is going to be fun to have this fired up here next March. 
I'm with you. I love the World Baseball Classic. I don't know that I was even skeptical when it started because the first time I'm sitting in my college dorm at 3 a.m. and able to turn on a game being played in one of the major league stadiums in Japan in that uh, in that pool of competition. I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Team Japan versus Team Team Korea. I love the World Baseball Classic. I'd say the biggest problem it has is that getting the biggest names to commit to play. We've seen teams where you're not exactly attracting top level talent to represent the country. Uh, and we've seen that before, but when you're able to get the best players to commit, or at least some of the best players to commit, this is fun. And we've been talking about the all-star game all, all episode. The World Baseball Classic is like an all-star game because you get the best players to commit and play for their countries. You get to see them face each other, or you get to see them be on the same team when they would not normally be. I love the World Baseball Classic. I love that Trout is already committed to playing in it and captaining Team USA. That makes this very exciting. And again, I think the only way you could possibly make it better is to move it to the middle of the season and take like a two-week break, which nobody would ever go for. Um, yeah, nobody would ever go no. for that. You'd get maybe more players to participate, but nobody would ever agree to that. Spring training is the next best thing because you're not going to get anyone to play if you do it after the World Series ends. But I love the World Baseball Classic. I love that it's back. And I love that we already have one of the biggest names in the game committed to playing. I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm less bothered, too, by the pitch limit because since 2006 until now in baseball, pitchers don't go as long in general. So that was my biggest concern with it is like, is it really real baseball when you've got major league players on strict pitch counts? Well, that's exactly what has happened to the sport in the last 15 years anyway. So I do think March makes the most sense. I do not want a two week break in the middle of the season. It obviously wouldn't make sense in October either. This is the right time of the year for the world baseball classic. And it's looking more and more like real baseball with the DH in the national league, with these strict pitch counts, let's do it, man. It's going to be a ton of fun next March. I agree with you, Ronan. I, I think March is the perfect time for it. I, I don't. I think you would probably get less players in the middle of the year. I, I think like who wants to play, take a break, then play more games, then come back. Whereas this is part of just your ramp up for spring training. Like this is just ramping up where they're they're going to do that. So I think that makes sense. And I think I think getting Mike Trout for the Team USA this year is a huge coup. I mean, Tony Reagan's the former um, Angels general manager who drafted Mike Trout is in charge of Team USA. So that was obviously a big connection to get Mike Trout on board uh, but yeah like you know if you have mike trout on board who who can say no right you like like who's better who's like oh you know you're you're better than mike trout right like you're gonna be like you're too good for this mike trout's doing it you know so i, I that's just the way i look at it and so i think it's it's a good coup for the team usa and i'm excited because there's gonna be 20 teams this year uh, which is up from 16, which was up from yeah. previously. So this is gonna be it's gonna be the biggest field ever. A ton you're gonna see a ton of countries. I agree with Randall. I love when it's like the 3 a.m. and you, you got these crazy pools, like you know, like the Netherlands is playing South or Taiwan or something in Japan, and you're like, I want to watch that game at 3 a.m. <laughs> I don't know anybody on the field except for maybe a couple of guys from Curacao or Aruba that are playing for the Netherlands. But uh I, I like watching that. It brings you know fun to for me, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, because the rules aren't always, you know, very stringent on who could represent what teams. You know, you get Anthony Rizzo, like, representing Italy. Freddie Freeman's going to represent Canada. Um, but uh, it's going to be, you know, I, I think it'll be fun. I think the U.S. will have I – mean, Alex Rodriguez represented both America and the Dominican Republic. He switched teams, um, which you can't, like, do in soccer or other sports. Um, but uh, I think I think it's going to be fun and exciting. That catch by Adam Jones last time in – that was one of the most remarkable catches ever in, in San Diego, which is Adam Jones's hometown. 
I, I think I think it was very fun last time, and I, I can't wait. I wish it would be bigger. I don't. I wish it'd be bigger than like MLB Network. I don't think the game should be on. Put them on ESPN. Put them on Fox. I think it'll be more exciting. I agree. And real quick, Jeremy, talking about some of the uh, how many teams are going to be in some of the teams that will be playing in the qualifying real quick. Germany, Czech Republic, Spain, France, Great Britain, South Africa, Panama, Nicaragua, Brazil, Argentina, Pakistan and New Zealand. A lot of these are countries we don't think of as being baseball countries. And it's, you know, and a lot of these guys are, are expats or guys who have uh, are, are able to prove that they are of descent. Uh, necessarily, but that's still really cool to see. Uh, team Israel, again, a team made up mostly of uh, Jewish American ballplayers. Uh, that's cool for me to see personally, is these countries that are not typically baseball countries in our mind, being able to put together teams and either play in the tournament or play in the qualifying tournaments. That's that's cool to me. As we talk about baseball being an international game, that's cool to me to see Pakistan being able to put together a baseball team and compete in one of these qualifying tournaments. First two games went to Japan back in 2006 and 2009. The Dominican Republic won it in 2013. The U.S. most recently back in 2017. It starts next March. The hosts, Japan, Taiwan, the United States, and the championship, the World Baseball Classic World Series, whatever you want to call it, Lone Depot Park in Miami. Uh, not used to filling that place up, but I got a feeling uh, there are going to be some big crowds in that ballpark for some of those final games. Should be an awesome Latin atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Dominican oh, Republic yeah. in Miami or Cuba? or Should be awesome. Although I don't know how many of the people in Miami are actually going to root for Cuba. <laughs> but it'll be a great scene, and it'll be right. nice that ballpark down in in a, a, such a unique city here in the United States, Miami, filled up with passionate baseball fans. It's all about growing the sport, and that's why I'm on board with the World Baseball Classic. I'd say the only downside to that picture you're painting is calling it Lone Depot Park. You got this great scene, this great picture we're painting, fans from all different countries, all different ethnicities, rooting for their team, carrying the flags around, and they call it Lone Depot Park. just takes yeah. the air out of it. Other than yeah. that, though, the picture we're painting, fantastic. I look forward to it. And, and it, it, I think they messed up building that park, too. Right. Like uh, they obviously needed a roof compared to what they used to be playing at the old uh, uh, what pro player stadium yeah. or Jack Robbie. Pro player, so like pro player pro owner, Joe Robbie land shark stadium ballpark yeah. of Miami. So they Dolphin got the dome. And dolphins. And dolphin and dolphins. That's right. <laughs> they got the dome. They got the cool fishes behind home plate. But ugh, the rest of it, it just seems sort of a lifeless ballpark there and the one part that i actually liked about the ballpark <laughs> that home run statue they got rid of it well it's outside the ballpark now they didn't I get rid of it they moved it jeter ah, gave it to they, hevo they, maybe they they it. It. the captain when they jeter gave, gave it to hevo jeter gave the statue a gift basket yeah and then yeah. uh he gave the uh marlins a gift basket as he moved on from that sure. role as well uh we'll end with this this is our 77th podcast something that we've been doing all year is identifying cubs who wore that number and if you're at home right now going uh, 77, nobody's ever worn 77 for the Cubs. You're wrong. And I'm going to give you two hints, and Randall's going to tell us who they are. One of them, I'll confidently say, is a World Series hero for the Chicago Cubs. Everybody associated with that 16 team is a World Series hero. So think about maybe who that might be. Second player is the only player this season that caused a host of this show, Jeremy Spector, to shed tears. Randall, who you got? 77. Well, Ronan, uh, never, never let it be said you are not an individual interested in the truth. There are two 77s in Chicago Cubs franchise history. As you said, one coach, 
one player, Eric Hinsky, who coached uh, on some of those very good Cubs teams in a, a number of roles, hitting coach, assistant hitting coach, first base coach, I believe a little bit. Eric Hinsky wore number 77 as a coach from 2014 to 2017. And then just this year, the former, the artist formerly known as Clint Frazier, he now goes by Jackson Frazier, but when he was known as Clint Frazier and he was playing for the major league Cubs, he was also in number 77, a number he carried over from his time with the Yankees. So there have been two 77s in Chicago Cubs history. Those have been them. Jeremy, have you uh, recovered from the initial move there with Frazier? I've recovered. I, you know, we discussed it at the time, the uh, Frazier, Jackson, Clint, I guess he's going by Jackson now. Uh, yeah, I have recovered. I would point out though, for Eric Hinsky, a former Cubs farmhand who uh, the Cubs trade away, but he won rookie of the year and, you know, uh, he's a former rookie of the year. So I think that's pretty cool. And I don't, I recall he has a pretty big back tattoo. So I, I would just Google that Eric Hinsky back tattoo. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I'm not bigger though than the box score back tattoo that Randall's that got we, coming for us. Yeah, here. yeah, exactly. Pretty soon. Well, speaking of Randall, I, I didn't mean to overlook this. Um, uh, Randall's birthday is in January, January 13th. In fact, folks write it down, circle it on your calendar, send him a tweet, all that good stuff. That means there's no Cubs games on January 13th. So we want to celebrate the big half birthday for Big Red Randall J. Sanders. July 13, Randall, going back to 1987, the year of your birth. How have the Cubs fared on July 13? Well, it's a half birthday because I generally have about half interest in it. But, you know, funny thing is July 13th, as I found, typically falls during the All-Star break. So in a, uh, a seven-year cycle, the Cubs only play maybe three or four times per every seven years. So they've actually only played 19 games on July 13th for the years that I've been alive. And honestly, they none of these games have been particularly noteworthy. One game that did jump out to me, I guess the first July 13th game that played while I was alive was July 13th, 1989. Greg Maddox got the win in a seven to three victory at San Diego. Of course, the 1989 Cubs would yeah. go on to win 93 games, that famous playoff team. And honestly, the only other thing that jumped out to me in 1996 and 1997, neither won a great year for the Cubs, but the Cubs got blown out by the Cardinals on July 13th, back-to-back -back seasons by nearly identical scores. They lost 10 to five to the Cardinals in 96, 11 to five to the Cardinals. They added that extra run on there in 1997. Other than that, for the most part, the games on the 13th, when they have been played, have been pretty uneventful. And it is worth noting that I have on my, my chart here, lots of DNP all-star break. There was unfortunately the DNP pandemic in 2020, the season had not yet gotten underway on July 13th, as as fortunate as that was. So July 13th, not a huge day in Cubs history. Again, small sample size. And even within that small sample size, not a whole lot has gone on. But interesting to look at, interesting to look at as you go back through the years to see what might have happened on uh, not my birthday, my half birthday. Now, I can guarantee you the Cubs have never won, as you said, on my birthday, but they've never lost on my birthday either. That's crazy. I think it's crazy that your first game was until 1989. That's right. And just a, a sad moment today. Uh, we were talking about the 1989 Cubs. Uh, rest in peace to Dwight Smith. Runner up, second runner, the runner up for the NL Rookie of the Year that year to Jerome Walton. A big part of that 1989 team that won the title. So fortunately, he passed away today. And his son, a former Major League Baseball player himself, Dwight Smith Jr., you know, Jeremy, that one hit me today uh, pretty hard. I was just completely blindsided by it. The Atlanta Braves put out a statement announcing that Dwight Smith had passed away at just 58 years old. And what I got to thinking about, he played for the Cubs, he played for the Atlanta Braves, World Series, all that. Um, this is a guy that I 
don't really remember ever seeing him play for the Cubs, right? His last year with the Cubs was 1993. That's a little bit before my window. Now, I've seen the boys as Zimmer a million times. So Dwight Smith's a guy that I do think of as a Chicago Cub, and that 89 season was remarkable. But yet, this one really hit me hard today. It just felt like this came out of nowhere. And it's absolutely devastating that a guy that young at 58 years old um, uh, passes away. So it, it, interesting. And on the one hand, that this is not a guy that I grew up watching on the Cubs. It was just before my time, yet he's certainly a Cub to me. And, and this one really stinks. Yeah, and I understand, you know, watching those videos. When I was growing up, for me, um, I, I, I don't remember, you know, the 1991 Bulls, you know, four years old, whatever. But I had the championship video, Learning to Fly. And I watched that like daily ever, every day I came home from school. So I knew that team and that team, yeah. like I could be, even though I have no recollection of actually watching it at the time. So, you know, watching those videos like that becomes your team. You feel part of them. So, yeah. So Dwight Smith obviously kind of had that place. And for the 1989 Cubs, he was a big part of that team. And yeah. that was a, you know, a division title or where there were not a lot of those that were coming around at that time. Yeah. Uh, eight year big league career, uh, 46 career home runs, a World Series championship, and uh, many notable years there on the north side with the Chicago Cubs. So fare thee well to you, Dwight Smith. Um, that's all we got, though, for this week's edition of the show. We will be back next week. Jeremy, we're going to have to hear about that ball game you get to out at Wrigley Field against the Pirates. Uh, Cubs in Philly hopefully can continue to do some damage this weekend. But we'll be back with an update next week. Uh, for Jeremy and Randall, this is Ronan. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We'll catch you next week. And go Cubs go.